Hyperno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hyperno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. My guest this time is René Bull, visual artist and son of Nobel Prize winner Heinrich Bull, who wrote many of his famous works on Ackle Island. OK, René, so before we talk about Ireland and the whole connection, can you tell me about your earliest memories of Cologne after the war? And what was it like? I was born in 1948 in Cologne in July. And we grew up in a quite destroyed city. It was still destroyed, not not as it was in 45, of course, but there were still many houses destroyed. There were bombs in the cities. There were many destructions still. And the, we lived in the only house in the street, which was okay. All the other houses, nearly all of the other houses were still destroyed. And Cologne and, is uh, famous for the cathedral. Was there any destruction around the cathedral? The cathedral itself was not so destructive, but all around it was totally, I think, nearly 90% destruction. Because near the cathedral is the main station, because this was a big target for the bombing. And near the cathedral also are some bridges. All the bridges were destroyed, six bridges at the time. The cathedral was a big, important landmark for the bombers, so they didn't destroy it. It was not for aesthetical reasons, but only for that the cathedral was an important landmark. Mm. There were some destructions in the cathedral, but not very much. Do you remember, were there foreign soldiers stationed in Cologne? They were remembered, but I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. We saw foreign soldiers, the Belgians more, in the 60s and 70s. Okay. But in the 50s, I don't remember, or the 40s, mm. no. So, I knew they were there, but we were the British, British zone. Because the Republic, the German Federal Republic was founded in 49. So first I was citizen of the British, British zone. When it came to going on holidays, were there such thing as family holidays then? Did people take a break in summer and go away? Yes, but normally not so, not so much as it was in the 60s, 70s. And Ireland was very strange as a holiday. <laughs> country. It was very far away. Quite expensive, the journey. Tell us about your first journey to Ireland. Our first journey took about three and a half days because we went first by train to Belgium, then by ship to to Dover, then again with the train to London, then to, I think, to Holyhead, to Dunleary, with the train to Westport, and then with the bus to Eckel. So it was quite a big, quite a long journey. I remember it very well. It was very strange for us because we were the first time we were on a ship, the first time we saw the sea, and the first time on actually we saw mountains because we are in a totally flat region, so we have no mountains here. So everything was new. And in Dublin, was nothing was destroyed. So it was really very, very different experience. Tell me about your first impressions of Ireland. Do you remember arriving in Ackle? Was it a very wet and windy place? I don't remember the weather, really. <laughs> but I remember the, the donkeys and people. 
And it was a really very, very remote place at that time, the 50s. There were some tourism, but not of foreigners. There were some little bit of tourism from Northern Ireland or from Dublin, but not from foreigners, from, from Germans. So the first impression was really very, very impressive because everything was different. Was it very old-fashioned? We lived in a very, until 53 or 54, we lived in only one, one and a half quarter in a nearly half-destroyed house, so it was not, was even much better than the whole first home in Cologne. We had a two-story house in Eckel Island. Of course, there was no electricity, only in the kitchen. There was, uh, it was quite primitive, but we, we liked it. How often did you travel after that? Did you travel every summer? The following years, we traveled every summer and we stayed about four months in Eckel. Even when we had to go to school, we stayed in Eckel. So in the first years, right, we didn't go so much to school, but my parents were. My mother was teacher, so she teached us, and my father, he teached us mathematics. Okay. So we didn't uh, miss anything. Do you remember learning English a lot when you were here? Uh, no, not so much really, because we were three children, three boys, so we were all always three together. We had not, not so much contact to Irish children. Later and on, of course, we, we, we learned English in school. And, and when my parents wanted to speak together and we didn't, we shouldn't understand, they spoke English. Okay. And did you keep a diary or did you start to make sketches when you were young? I started to make sketches when I was about uh, 16, 17. But we painted a lot in, as children in Ekel. And we still have these paintings because we sent most of these paintings to my grandfather, and my, my aunt in, in Cologne. Okay. So they kept, they kept these paintings. Uh, and you still have them? I still have them, yes. Okay. Uh, there are some paintings even of the, of the shark hunting and some very strange things in Ekel. Were there people who went shark hunting? Yes, they went shark hunting until the 60s. I don't know exactly, I think, until 64 or 63. It's the biggest shark hunting was in the early 60s, about about 1,000 sharks in a year. Wow. So it was quite a bloody business. Do you think that Ireland was a welcoming place for Germans, more welcoming perhaps than France or the Netherlands? It was more welcoming because Germans were the enemies or have been the enemies of the English. So people thought the enemies of the English are orphans. Some strange things happened. They say that Hitler was, of course, not all, everything was good, but he was not such a bad, bad guy. People said that? English. People said that, yes. Okay. Even I had heard this a lot in China or in, in North Africa. You still can hear it. Wow. Going back then to, to Germany of the late 50s and the early 60s, was Germany becoming very prosperous? Yes, in the 60s it began very prosperous because of the many, they got many uh, financial help from the United States. Yeah. The Marshall, Marshall Plan. Yeah. Did you notice then a bigger difference between the Germany of the early 60s and Ackel Island? Yes, Ackel Island in the 60s was still a very remote place. And there were nearly very few men, adult men, because nearly all went to England to work, in Scotland okay. or in England. There were only normally only families, women yeah. with children and older people. Yeah. Did you or your brothers ever have a girlfriend on Ackle? Uh, no. <laughs> no. 
Is there uh, times we were more we were more in uh, Cologne? Is there times we didn't travel so much directly because yeah. we had to go to school or to study? Or okay. And again, the Cologne of that time was um, Adenauer. Tell me about Adenauer. He was from Cologne, wasn't he? Adenauer was a major of Cologne in the 30s in the short time after the war. I think in 48 or 49, I don't know exactly. But then he became the first chancellor of Germany. And he was a very, for me, a very strange man because he was, uh, he was, he had problems with the Nazis. He was not a Nazi, but he helped a lot of Nazis, Nazi people to come out of the prisoners. He gave him high positions in the government and in the justice and everything. Was he a, was so, he a very strong Catholic? Oh, yes, he was a very strong Catholic. Yeah. But very conservative. Did this make him very anti-left wing, very anti-communist? Yes, because we had the other part of Germany was communist, as you know, German Democratic Republic was communist, so there was strange, big, big fear of them. When we were children, we always thought there will be a war, war with Russia again. Tell me about then, as you were a teenager, um, the 1960s for you in Germany. What was that like? Oh, we made many, many demonstrations, manifestations against the government, against some public, uh, some uh, newspapers. So it was a very, move, very moved time. time. <clears throat> and in '68, I was with my parents in in Prague when the Russian invasion came. So it was a very, very interesting time. And was your father uh, there to support the the Czechs, or was he was he reading? We just came the day, the night before the Russians came. So, we, but we met many people. Then my father gave in clandestine interviews. It was very interesting and even dangerous. We came there to to see the movement, the Prague Spring, as they called it, or the Czechian Spring to see the movement, to, to, and my father wanted to write about it. But then he wrote about the invasion. Yeah, and, and Prague in 1968, I suppose, when the Russians came, was it, was it a dangerous place for people from, from the West? It was a dangerous place for everybody, not especially for the West. They couldn't recognize if you were from the West or East. Tell us about the Achtensechsigers, the, the 68 generation. Were you part of that? Because that was maybe your age group. I were part of it, but not so much. I didn't like the communist part of it. It was very strong in Germany. They had, we had different communist parties, quite strange, Maoists, Trotskists, Leninists, whatever you, you want. So I was never part of this movement. I don't like it because I knew, because we traveled to Russia in the 60s, 65 and 66, so we knew what communism were, and we were in East Germany even earlier, and we knew what was what the communism means. So we never were part of it. We were part of a, of a democratic movement and anti-Nazi movement, because the Nazis were still very quite important at that time in high positions. Even the prime minister, one prime minister, was a high Nazi. Many judges, judges, many people. Do you, do you remember what his name was? Kiesinger, yes. Kiesinger. He had a high, po- high position in the German um, propaganda minister. Lots of young people then, they, they were very unhappy about this, to still see Nazis in position of power. So was that yes. what a lot of the kind of student rebellion was about? 
Yes, it was about, and because the elder generation, like my parents, and they never spoke about the wartime or the Nazi time. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to, to hear, to speak, and to, yeah. to understand what happened in that time. Heinrich How Bo could it happen? was a soldier in the Wehrmacht, wasn't he? He was from the first until the last day soldier, yes. Yeah. And did he, he ever talk about the, being a soldier? Not so much. He talked much about <clears throat> histories uh, because they had to leave Cologne. They had to be in the countryside, a very primitive life in the countryside. My mother was in the countryside. They spoke more about it, but not about the war. Mm -hmm. He did Never. use some of his um, wartime experience for some of his writing. I think um, yes. Vovars to Adam is a is yes. about uh, a soldier's life, isn't it? Yes, because he was a soldier in, uh, most of the time in France, but sometimes in Romania, in Hungary, in Russia, and in Poland. He wrote a lot, lot about it. Yeah. And we published, recently we published his diaries from 43 to 45. Were you aware when you were at school that your father was a very important writer or he was becoming very famous? Of course, we were aware, yes. We knew it, and we were sometimes we were called communists in the school. Many people, many teachers were against my father. Many were in favour, but many against. Okay. It was a mixture. Yeah. Was he controversial because of his writing or because of what he was saying? Because of his writing, because of he had many speeches against Nazis. He was very active politically. Freedom for writers was the most important thing, yes, for his writings, and against many conservative movements in Germany. Would it be fair to say that the right-wing press didn't like him? They hated him. They attacked him terribly. Yeah. Was Bild Zeitung around at the time? Was it that kind of newspaper? Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, Bild Zeitung and many others. But there was no internet. I think it was good that there was no internet. Because it would have been more terrible still. Do you think that put him under a lot of pressure? Did that make him feel insecure or feel worried? It was difficult for him, but most difficult was that the pressure was not only at him, but also at the family. We had some house searches. We were called terrorists. And I think this was very difficult for my friends. Yeah. Because he helped really. He never was a communist, of course. He helped many people in Russia, as Solzhenitsyn and others. But he never could spoke about it because it would have been dangerous for the people in Russia or in other countries. So and he couldn't make it public. Do you remember when he won the big book prizes? Was that a, a celebration in your house? Oh, yes, it, of course. It was when he got the Nobel Prize yeah. and other prizes, yes. It was very important for him and he was very happy about it. Maybe just give a picture to the Irish listener who wouldn't know the Germany of the late 60s, early 70s that well. There was a big student movement, as you said, a kind of an anti-Nazi pro-democracy movement. Yeah. But there was also yes. a lot of hardline communists of different kinds of red there. And then it became, then some of that broke away into a more violent movement. Do you remember those That's early times of the Red Army, Bart and Meinhof? Of course times? I remember, yes. What, I was what? ever against it, as my father also was against it. Totally against it. I remember it, were, it, was a, it was a very small part. <clears throat> it were about, probably it were 100 people, probably some more, some less, I don't know. It was a very violent, very terrible. I, I just call them criminals. I mean, there's nothing political in it. And, and was your father accused of supporting them? 
he was accused and we also there was a big house searching with me and my family when my wife was pregnant from our second child was very terrible so about 40 40 policemen in our flat and around it so he was very attacked in the press in incredible form even in the bundestag in the parliament he was attacked that must have been a, so a, it was, a very difficult time for you it was a terrible time yes very difficult still sometimes it's they accuse him like terrorists or something. So when that was going on in Germany, and obviously uh, he had become quite famous and controversial and under a lot of pressure, do you think that Ireland was a big escape, was a place for him to be to be uh, apart from Germany, to be away from all that? Of course, yes. it was a big, very important place. Even <clears throat> because when we were to, went to school, to, to higher school, we couldn't stay so much time in Eckel. So he went many times. He was alone in Eckel for months or weeks. And he could ride there, good. he could escape there. So it was a very important place. Because we, we bought a little cottage in the 58 in Dungord on Eckel Island. So this was really our home, our second home. Yeah, I, I know the cottage. Um, as I've said, before I've had the privilege of staying there. It's a it's in a very beautiful place, and if you haven't been to Dugort, um, it's still a very isolated and a very quiet place. So I imagine fifty years ago or more, it was uh, it was remarkably quiet. Oh yes, but there are not a lot of new buildings in the nineties and later on. A lot of new uh, holiday homes. In the sixties, there was still the colony, the Protestant colony. There were many people. Of this time, we're still living there. In the in the strange little red brick houses. In the little houses. Yes. Yeah. No, in the colony, the colony in Dugard, you know. Yeah. You go down this, yes. Yeah, it looks like a little uh, small red brick street from somewhere in yes. the north of England, just put yes. on the island. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they were still, and and there's a little Protestant church across from that too, isn't there? That's still there. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when Heinrich Bell wrote Irish's Tagesbuch, when he wrote My Irish Diary, do you think that that was also a form of escape from him, not writing anything political or not this this wasn't something that was about the changing society in Germany or post-war Germany? I think it was just uh, he loved Ireland. He said it was a country he most loved in in Europe because he had never travelled outside Europe. So doesn't do as other countries. So Ireland was really very, very important for him. And he was very, he was another person in Ireland, more quiet, more... Was he a happier quiet. person in Ireland? Yes, I think so, yes. Mm. Did he ever yes. notice anything wrong with the Irish society? Because a lot of his books were commenting on German society and what was happening with Germany and German people. Did he ever think about the power of the Catholic Church in Ireland or did he ever make any political yes, comment know, on Ireland? We knew, we knew quite well the problems because many people had to immigrate still in the 50s or even the 60s, 60s 70s. We saw many young children going to, to America or to, to Australia or whatever. So he knew, very, he knew very well about the problems, even with the, with the church. But he wrote, uh, he's a guest in Ireland, he's not, he's not his, so he wrote to a German, Rosenstock, probably you know his, you know, you know his son, Gabriel. Yes. Surely he's a great poet. Yeah. <clears throat> so he, he had a big conversation with Rosenstock about it. Okay. Because Rosenstock, first he was against the Irish German, but later on they became friends. 
because Rosenstock said my father wrote too, <clears throat> he wrote too early about a country he didn't know. Okay. I think Rosenstock was originally, or his part of his family were Jewish, were they? I think so, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure when he came to, I think so, yes. Yeah. Because the name is Jewish. For the most part, the book was very well received. It was very popular in Germany when it came out. Is that right? Oh, yes, it's still very popular. They sold nearly two million of copies. And still many people go to Ireland with Irish Journal. What was people's reaction when they first read uh, My Irish Journal? They were different reactions. People most, most loved it, really. They were. But some people say it's, uh, it's fantasy, it's poetry, it's not... It was not real. Of course, it's a mixture. Some is very real, some is fiction. <laughs> but most is really, really real. Tell me about your mother's role uh, in your father's work and tell me a bit about your mother because often she gets a bit forgotten, but she was also a very important figure. Of course, yes, but she never wanted to, to act publicly. She never gave an interview, so she, didn't, she just didn't want to do it because not because my father said she shouldn't do it. But she was a very good um, interpreter and uh, translator. She was English teacher. She was uh, here in England in 36, so she spoke very good English, much better than my father. And she made really, as my father himself said, 90% of the uh, translations she made. And she translated a lot of books from Ireland. George Bernard Shaw, Brendan Bean, Eilish Dillon, and others. Were you familiar with these works because your, your mother was working on them and because she knew them? Yes. Very important for us was a book, The Island Man by Thomas Shaw Cohan, because we read it when we were about, I was about 13. So this story was very important for us. Mm -hmm. In Eckel Island, there was still Eckelbergs, a little island south of Eckel. It was still inhabited in that time. And yeah. it remembered us a lot of life <clears throat> as it has been on the Blaskers. So some of your experiences on Ackle were like the Island Man experience on the Blaskets. Yes, we think so, but of course it was not. Ackle Island itself was connected as a bridge. Was not, but Ackle Bay was still an island. Yeah. Not so far away like the Blaskets, but, but the people were living very, very different. And could you travel to Ackle Bay then on a boat? On a boat, yes. Mm. Yes. It's a small boat. It's just, it's just some hundred yards. It's not far away from the mainland. I still have three books of it, of the children of, of Eckelberg. Okay. Because the, the school of Eckelberg was very, they had a very good teacher. And in the early 60s, it was, people left Eckelberg. And we were there and I got three uh, exercise books of the children. Two in, two in Gaelic and one in English. I don't think anyone lives on Eckelberg anymore. Is it, it's, a, it's abandoned now, is it? It's abandoned, but there are some holiday homes. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Peop some people in, in wintertime. Yeah, I suppose in when you're in... summertime or anything. Yeah, when you're a small island, off an island. Yes. Like Ackle, it's going to be a, a hard and lonely life, I suppose. Oh, yes, of course. When you said your mother lived in England, is that where she met some Irish people? Did yes, she met a, girl, a friend, a teacher, another teacher was family Keegan from, from Kerry. And she told her a lot of Ireland... And we still have connection to the family, to our children. Okay. We still have connection. So there was a very big connection. And they sent many care packets to us after the war. What did they send? 
they sent clothes for the children and some food, I think. So was your mother's knowledge of Ireland a really important part of the reason why your father decided to come here? I think so, yes. And then, of course, Irish literature as well. And Irish fairy fairy tales he wrote. He read like a child in his childhood. Do you know, did he have favourite Irish writers? Yes, I think uh, James Joyce, of course. Beckett. Beckett was very... <clears throat> we read him when he was when we were very young. We read Beckett. Wow. Very strange literature at that time. Yeah. <laughs> but very yeah. Irish. Yeah, yes. very strange to read when you're young. Do you know if your father ever met him? Because they would have been kind of contemporaries. I don't think so, then, Robert. Yeah. He, he met uh, Graham Greene once. He, okay. And Graham, Graham Greene lived quite a long time on Ackle. Oh, I didn't realise that. Graham Greene lived on Ackle? Yes, he lived about some months on Ackle. Yeah. He wrote uh, the book, I think, The End of an Affair. He wrote it on Ackle. That makes Ackle a really amazing place for people escaping there and writing about the big, yes, broad, yes. wide world while they were in this yes. quiet place. And still is. Tell me, Rene, how did Ackel influence your own work as a visual artist? Well, first of all, the landscaping. The landscapes, the sky, the sea, the colours are very different. The light is different. It impressed me very much. And I still paint most paintings I make are in relation with Ackel. I made a big series about the Kilini on Ackel. And about the Finchin, it was a little village on Dugord, but it's a disappeared village. So I made some some work about this pose. Because we saw, when we were children, we saw a Kilin in Dukinella, you probably know, it's near the strand. It was the only Kilin we knew at that time. I found about, yeah. about 22 on a Kilin. And for, for people who aren't familiar with the term, tell us what Kilin means. Kilin was a burial place for unbaptized children but also for sailors, suicide people, and sometimes for sea- sailors who were washed ashore. So they knew, didn't you, they were Catholics, Protestants. So they were buried them in the Kalidi. So you had to be a baptised Catholic to get into the graveyard. So yes. if you yes. weren't baptised, they had these unofficial graveyards. Is that what they were like? It was unofficial, really secret and yeah. totally taboo. Nobody spoke about it. Oh. Some people didn't do it. Many people didn't do about it. But in every village, there's a Kilin on a Kilin. And were there any gravestones or did they mark the graves in any way? No, they're just are stones. Yeah. Just normal stones put on the grass. So you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, see anything if you yeah. don't know exactly what, it, what happened. So. They must have been <clears> very <throat> sad places because obviously unbaptized children and suicide victims... Um, and then, as you said, unfortunate sailors who are washed up, who may well have been Catholics, but because they didn't know, they couldn't take a risk and put them in a Catholic yeah. graveyard. So they hid them, really. Yeah. They hid them, yes. No, it was a very sad place and very sad history because it's, I know the people never spoke about, again, about these children. They were really disappearing from the families. They had no name and very sad. And normally, the, I think normally the women never go to the Kilini. Was only the I men. heard about it, but it, yeah. it's very and, sad and many people don't like to speak about it. Yeah. Well, was that a very strange thing? Because even though the Rhineland is in some ways was quite Catholic, particularly back in the 1950s, say, it didn't have that kind of Catholicism. No, but in the, I think in the 19th century, because I made some studies about it, because I was very interested. I'm not a Catholic, 
Christian anymore. <laughs> so, but it was very important for me to understand what is behind it, the story behind it. Yeah. And I read a big story about all the Kilini. They were in all Europe, but only until the 19th or 18th century, okay. not in the 20s. Yeah. So I think in Ecclesia were one, one of the last Kilinis used in the 60s. Some people say some were even used in the 70s or 80s. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the, the Catholic Church in Ireland was still very powerful in the 1980s, particularly in isolated rural oh, yes. areas. So, yeah, it is believable that they were still in use in the 1980s. It's remarkable. When you made some work about that topic, there was also some poems written, some haikus. Yes. Do you think, would you read some of that for us? The title is Under the Mackerel Sky. Children, Kinder, Kinder, die nie lebten liegen unter Steinen am Meer, Makrelenhimmel. Etwas Besseres als den Tod fand ich nicht bei meinem Besuch auf dieser Erde. Mein ewig Schlaf, bereits in dir begann er, Mutter. Nur geflüstert wurde über mich und doch vergaßt ihr mich nie, meine Eltern. Von deinem Körrach aus, wenn du Makrelen fischst, siehst du mein Grab. It's a very powerful piece. I'll give it a go. Thank you. Um, English and Irish. Children who never lived lie under stones by the sea, mackerel sky. Pasti, avoir rive, fui chloche, kish kuste, spear grim and runic. Something better than death I did not find during my visit to this earth. Salavus is near Honigme er ein nie, nis far not on boss. My eternal sleep already it started. Within you, mother. Soon, Siri, onetsa, a slash a wahrin. There was only whispering about me, but still, you never forgot me, my parents. Kogar mogar fuam, shinilla, achnir yen shiv shijarudurum, a hishmahori. From your koroch, while fishing for mackerel, you can see my grave. On koroch agat, agastatu agiaskak mackerel, ryakakat ermooig. It's a very kind of uh, bleak and lonely poem, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, very sad places. Yeah. The translation into Irish was made by Gabriel Rosenstock. Yes, yeah. So it was a great, great honor for me. Yeah. That he made <laughs> translation. And the English translation was made by Surat Abad and Michel Augustine. From so Germany. this was a, a piece where you worked together with lots of other people. Um, yes. On Killeen, yeah. Did you make a lot of visual arts? Were you working in oil or were you what what medium were you working in making that art? I made about about I think three or four hundred watercolors, sketches, and a big installation of uh, thirty big oil paintings. So I made a lot of work about it. And I'm still it's still ongoing work. Because next time I went to Munekula I wanted to visit some Euclids. I never I not not have seen it. Okay. But your own work, while there was lots of influence from the very dramatic scenery in Ackel, you are, of course, not only influenced by Ireland and by Ackel. Ecuador and South America have had a big influence on you too. My, my wife is from Ecuador, so we went, we were many times in Ecuador, in the jungle, in the Galapagos Islands, in the highlands, so it was also a big influence on me. And, and another big influence is China, China and Japan, ink painting. But Ecuador is really a marvelous place. You can have everything from glacier to rainforest, 
50 kilometers. So it's an incredible place, and especially the Galapagos Islands. I imagine the contrast between a place like um, Akal Island and a place like Ecuador is a, is a very stark thing. Is that something you were able to bring into your own work? Yes, but there are some similarities. You know, if you're on the highland, and about 3,000, 4,000 meters, there are some similarities with island. Remote places, no, no trees. Quite. There are some similarities. Even on Galapagos, some people remember me. Some, some places remember me. Like okay, yeah. Tell us about China and Japan. Was that particularly because of the way that they made traditional prints? Is that what attracted you to it? No, it's more the ink painting. Traditional prints are very important for painting, for colours. But the ink painting is only black and white. And it's totally different from every painting technique in Europe. So I studied it with Chinese painters and uh, made a lot of exhibitions, in, even in China and Japan. When so you're, this is a big part of my work. And when you're making work now, do you have exhibitions in, in Cologne? It was very difficult, you know, with the corona times. Oh, yeah. There were no exhibitions. Yeah. But I hope it will start next year again. You, you have grandchildren? Yes, I have yeah. grandchildren. Do you still have a connection to Ireland and to Ackle? Yes, my, my son-in-law is from Northern Ireland, from Oma. So his children speak English quite well. Okay. He speak, speaks only English with the children. Yeah. And we are still a big connection to Eichel, of course. I go there every year for the Heinrich Böll weekend to stay some, at least some days on it. I stay in the hotel normally, but next year I will stay in the cottage. Okay. I will go there with a friend, with a, also ink painter, so we will go together there to, yeah. to work on Eichel. Have your grandchildren been there too? They have been too, yeah. Yes, yeah. they were there. So, so the connection from your father and your mother's time carries on and is still quite strong. It carries on, and I would like to. I was on Skellig Michael only once. I would like to go again there and to visit some islands north of North of Eckel, like the Inish Keys and Inish Glora. And some, there are some very interesting places I want to visit. Yeah, I think the Inish Keys are out off Blacksod Bay, isn't that where they are? Yes, yeah. yes, outside Blacksod Bay. Yeah, also I was very... on Inish Key South. I was on Inish Key South, but not on North. Yeah. Also very remote places. Oh, yes. Yeah. But they were inhabited quite long, until the 30s, 36 or so. Yeah. yeah. So the houses are still there, and you can see the fields and everything. Is that something that attracts you when you come from a big modern city like Cologne to visit places that have been abandoned? Yes, I think, <clears throat> and I like very much the desert. I was in the Gobi and Taklamakan desert. Sahara also. So I like very this remote places. Mm. Of course, when you come from a yeah. very inhabited city. <laughs> to bring us all the way back then to remote places, to that time when you first came to Ireland, are there things that you remember? Are there things that were different about the food or about uh, Irish music? Did things like that have a, have any influence on you? Yes, the food we got on Eke was really very primitive. <laughs> there were no... Really no vegetables, just some cabbage, but no salad, no, no apples, nothing. It was for my, for my mother sometimes a little bit difficult because she would like to have more natural, natural food. Yeah. But we get, we get fresh fish and lobsters. Uh-huh. And was there lots of potatoes? A lot of potatoes, oh yes. Yeah. But there are no, 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 I think there's not any more potatoes or naked anymore. No more potato fields. Yeah. 
because people say it's much cheaper to buy them from Italy or something. But it did change a lot of people because, as my father said, people can live with very much, very little money in the 50s. So they had their own turf, they had fishing rights, they had cattle. So they didn't use a lot of money. They didn't need a lot of money. And do you think that's what but made it, change it very attractive for him? That simple yes, way of life? it was very, very simple life. It was not important where you, how you were closed or what car you had. Nothing was this thing. These were things that were very important in Germany, but not on Italy. And when he wrote My Irish Journal, do you remember if Irish people read it and if Irish people commented on it, what did they think about it? They read it. It was just translated in 65, I think. I'm not, I don't know exactly. 65 or 67. So nearly 10 years later. Some people found it quite sweet because he made it also a little film about Akil, about Ireland in 61. But this was very heavily criticized because people say they only show poverty and poor people. And that's not all Ireland. So he was even the German ambassador was, uh, he was uh, the government spoke with the German ambassador about it. It was quite, but today is a very important documentary about life in the early 60s. It's a very yeah. nice little film about children of Ireland. I suppose Ireland wanted to see itself as a country that was modernising and that was progressing and becoming... Exactly, yes. Uh, and it didn't yes. want to look at the old pictures of exactly. a simple life in the West. Yeah. The countryside. Yeah. Even Ecke was for very people quite strange. People yeah. from Dublin... Ekel is a very too remote place to go there. <laughs> Even now, it's still it's still a remote place. Yes, still yeah. it's remote, yes. Yeah. Quite difficult to come there. Yeah. René, do you think, could you read just a short piece of from my Irish journal? I can read a part of the Irish journal. It's, uh, I think the English title is Skeleton of a, journal of a uh, Human Settlement. It's about uh, the deserted village on Eckel Island, which today is quite famous because my father wrote about it. Today is a very important place on Eckel, but in the 50s, nobody knew, nobody spoke about it. Plötzlich, als wir die Höhe des Berges erreicht hatten, sahen wir das Skelett des verlassenen Dorfes am nächsten Hang liegen. Niemand hatte uns davon erzählt, niemand uns gewarnt. Es gibt so viele verlassene Dörfer in Irland. Die Kirche, den kürzesten Weg zum Strand, hatte man uns gezeigt. Und den Laden, in dem es Tee, Brot, Butter und Zigaretten gibt. Auch die Zeitungsagentur, die Post und den kleinen Hafen, in dem die harponierten Haie bei Ebbe im Schlamm liegen, wie gekenterte Boote mit dem dunklen Rücken nach oben, wenn ich zufällig die letzte Flutwelle, ihren weißen Bauch, aus dem die Leber herausgeschnitten war, nach oben kehrte. Das schien der Erwähnung wert, aber nicht das verlassene Dorf. Graue, gleichförmige Steingiebel, die wir zunächst ohne perspektivische Tiefe sahen, wie dilettantisch aufgestellte Kulissen für einen Gespensterfilm. Mit stocktem Atem versuchten wir sie zu zählen. Wir haben es bei 40 auf, und 100 waren es sicher. Die nächste Kurve des Weges brachte uns in andere Distanz, und nun sahen wir sie von der Seite. <lacht> Ruhbauten, die auf den Zimmermann zu warten schienen, graue Steinmauern, dunkle Fensterhöhlen, kein Stück Holz, kein Fetzenstoff, nichts Farbiges, wie ein Körper ohne Haare, ohne Augen, ohne Fleisch und Blut, das Klett eines Dorfes, grausam deutlich in seiner Struktur, 
Doch die Hauptstraße an der Bigu, wo der kleine runde Platz ist, muss eine Kneipe gewesen sein, eine Nebengasse, noch eine, alles was nicht Stein war, weggenagt von Regen, Sonne und Wind und von der Zeit, die geduldig über alles hinträufelt. 24 große Tropfen Zeit pro Tag, die Säure, die so unmerklich alles zerfrisst, die Resignation. Thank you very much, that was beautiful. Hmm? Is, is that from the beginning of the book? It's from the beginning, yes. It's the fifth chapter. Yes, it's quite yes. from the beginning. Yeah. Um, the first of the book is when he came to Dublin. So leaving the, the ship in Dunleary in the early morning, everything yeah. was closed. Nobody was. <laughs> it was the beginning. Okay, Rene, it was a great pleasure to talk to you. Um, I really Thank enjoyed uh, hearing all those stories about your father and mother's life and about your life too. Thank you. Okay, vielen Dank. Okay, thank um, you very much. Bye-bye.